Welcome to episode 36 of Contested Catch. I'm your host, Will Lever, and this is our Scott Fishbowl debut at Contested Catch here. And we're going to talk some draft strategy, specific players, and more with another special guest, a returning guest this time. Uh, but first, we're happy to be joined again by our co-host and data specialist, Jeff Gould. Jeff, as usual, how the hell are you, my friend? Hey, you know, I got a new mic, Will, finally upgraded to join you in the semi-professional ranks of podcasting. So hopefully uh, our viewers appreciate it. We quite literally love to hear it. Um, <laughs> and now we're excited to welcome back a friend of Contessa Catch, a rock star in fantasy football analytics and just NFL analytics as a whole, Roto World's very own Hayden Winks. Hayden, welcome back. And how have you been since our listeners last heard from you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I also upgraded my mic, so we should all be sounding perfect for our audience. Uh, but yeah, glad to be here. Love to hear it. Happy to have you. Um, and so for those that may have missed it back when we recorded episode 30, Hayden joined us for that episode to preview the NFL draft after the NFL Combine earlier this year. A lot has happened since then. Uh, we're hoping to still be on track for the 2020 season, of course. Uh, and we'll follow up on some of those points that we discussed later, but let's get into the topic at hand. And that's, of course, a Scott Fishbowl. So just to introduce it a little bit for those of you that don't know, SFBX you might see is trending on Twitter. SFBX stands for Scott Fishbowl 10, meaning the 10th year of this awesome event. And so it's a pro-am tournament, meaning amateurs and professionals slash we consider ourselves professionals, I suppose, uh, analysts, uh, a pro-am tournament that essentially signals the start of the fantasy football season. So this year there are 1,440 teams split into 120 12-team leagues. Proud to say that we got one of those analyst spots, as did Hayden, of course. And uh, the scoring is pretty unique in the Scott Fish Bowl. So some of the high points to know is that it's half PPR and half points per first down. It's tight end premium, super flex in a sense, because you can flex a second quarterback in your lineup. Pass touchdowns are six points. Interceptions are minus four. So essentially, out of the 11 starting spots, you're starting two quarterbacks, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, and three non-quarterback flex. So that's a lot right there. The draft and the tournament are a ton of fun, but one of the main goals of this is to actually raise money for a charity called Fantasy Cares, and it's basically the outlet that Scott Fish has targeted towards donating toys to kids during the holidays. So it's an awesome event and an awesome cause. Uh, the community has raised nearly 40000 We might have actually hit 40000 uh, as of the recording now and uh, toward this great cause. And so there's still time to donate. If you're interested in contributing, the link will be in the post for this podcast. So definitely encourage you guys to consider at least, uh, again, great cause. So with that said, Hayden, time to talk some strategy, man. Uh, you picked out of the first overall slot in your division and starting with the half billion dollar man, Patrick Mahomes, which is obviously big news in its own right. And then you followed up with tight end Mark Andrews and Tyreek Hill at the 2-3 turn. And then Allen Robinson and Adam Thielen at the 4-5 turn. And so as of today, you currently own the latest RB1 pick in the entire tournament, all the way at the end of the sixth round, you got Cam Akers. Uh, we're going to talk about Cam Akers a little, bit late, but a little bit later, that is. But can you just talk about your strategy going in here? You know, Were you planning to go 0RB or mod 0RB? Uh, no. The only thing I knew that I wanted was Patrick, Patrick Mahomes with the first overall pick. And that's just the scoring. It's just so, so crazy. The quarterbacks are going to be having some negative weeks. Like if you're messing with like Sam Darnold, these type of quarterbacks, they're going to be actually hurting your team to uh, so I wanted to lock in at least one quarterback from there. And then I thought I was not going to be drafting any wide receivers because the way that the scoring works, the, the top receivers don't score as much points as the top running backs. But what happened was is all of my league mates figured that out as well. They drafted a bunch of running backs 
then I was just kind of left with after my Tyreek Hill, uh, Patrick Mahone stack, I was just looking at, okay, Allen Robinson's still on the board. He's better than uh, someone like Melvin Gordon, in my opinion. Same thing with Adam Thielen. I had those guys just in my top 10 receivers. Then I was not going to be messing with like RB 23 just because the scoring was higher. And then that's what led me to zero RB. Um, wasn't my initial draft strategy, but just kind of the way the chips fell. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Uh, and I think that's actually something that we did as well, was we just let the draft come to us. Um, we didn't try to force a strategy. So we'll get to that in a, in a little bit here. But Jeff and I have been talking a lot about the way to value tight ends and quarterbacks in this format. And so, Jeff, I'll kick it over to you. Sure. So I'll touch on the tight end premium part first. Um, so basically, tight ends in this format, they get an extra half point per reception, so like, uh, a full point. And then they also get an extra half point per first down. I think it actually like makes the chasm between that elite group of tight ends and like you just kind of run the mill that much bigger because your bottom, like after you get past maybe like that second tier of tight ends, depending on how you tier, maybe past that third tier, they're still just touchdown dependent. And you're just really playing like weekly roulette on the touchdown dart wheel. Those extra half points on the receptions and first downs really aren't going to do much, but for Travis Kelsey, for George Kittle, for Mark Andrews, um, you know, like Zach Ertz still, he's still like below them, but he still like gets enough volume uh, where it makes a difference that for the tight ends who are getting those hundred ish plus targets a year, it makes a huge difference. Now all of a sudden, like Travis Kelsey is, you know, and George Kittle, they could be scoring more than any wide receiver because of this uh, scoring. So um, you know, like I love that Mark Andrews pick at the two, three turn. Um, you know, it's just such a drop off after him and you just, you lock in that competitive advantage at that, uh, you know, position over basically the rest of the league. And then on the QB side, uh, like, like you said, Hayden, the QB scoring, and this is really unique. Um, you, what you lose one point for incompletion, right? And then you get a half a point, uh, per completion. So like it makes Drew Brees a lot more valuable in this format than it does in, uh, you know, just normal. Um, like, you know, Josh Allen with that 57% completion percentage. Uh, uh, first of all, it just changes the way you have to evaluate quarterbacks. And you, a lot of people just kind of take normal Superflex quarterback valuation going into this and just kind of hammer quarterback in the first three or four rounds. Sometimes like, you know, picking up two QBs in the first two rounds. If they're like on the back end, I've seen people like Dak Kyler on the one to two. Um, but in my opinion, because you do have so many flex spots, it's still quarterbacks are still more valuable than they are in like a normal one QB league. But because there's so many flex spots, they're not as valuable as a traditional two QB league. You can exploit the uh, a market inefficiency in general when people start reaching on quarterbacks early, and you, you said just pick up like that value at running back and receiver. Yeah, I totally agree. That the other reason why I'm waiting on my second quarterback is there's uh, 12 teams. Most people are going to draft two quarterbacks and then wait to draft their third quarterback. So I'm going to be targeting like QB 25, QB 26, QB 27. Once most uh, of my league mates have both of their quarterbacks, and I think that they're going to be focused on filling the rest of their starting lineup at that point, and I could wait. The difference between like the QB 28 and the QB 22 is going to be like multiple, multiple rounds. And my strategy is just because the scoring is so crazy where um, I want to play matchups to a point where I'm going to be drafting 
two quarterbacks, like let's say somebody like Gardner Minshew and Derek Carr, somebody like that, where I'm just going to be playing the matchups of those two quarterbacks for my second uh, super flex spot. And I don't think I'm going to have to draft them nearly as high as like where like Ryan Tannehill, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, the QB twos are going to go. And I would rather just have two QB threes and play the matchups. Now, how do you feel about waiting on your QB one? <laughs> well, I, I would have, uh, I would have done that as well. I just thought the Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson have just so much upside uh, that they were worth taking up that, that high. Um, I, I think that probably the best strategy to feel comfortable is to draft probably one quarterback and then wait on the second quarterback. Um, but it, it, once again, it just comes down to what your league's doing. Like, like the, the running back just flew off the board. And I thought I was going to be part of that. But since that happened, I just adjusted to grab some uh, early round receivers, which was not the strategy. So this really varies by league. But I think the overall premise of waiting on quarterback just because the flex spots is a good strategy. And then along with the, the tight ends being valued at the top and don't target touchdown dependent tight ends just because it's tight end premium. Because like you said, they're not actually benefiting from this, the scoring. They're not picking up first downs. They're not uh, catching passes. They're like your Jared Cooks of the world. Those guys are just scoring touchdowns. They're not helping you with super or with the, the tight end premium scoring. Um, but that's why I drafted Tyler Higby. I think Tyler Higby out of the second tier guys is somebody that we've seen before that could be a high volume guy, somebody that's picking up a lot of first downs. So that's why I drafted him um, over somebody that's just going to be scoring touchdowns. I actually, I was going to ask you about Higby and more, more phrase it as a, a little a rip at you because I was going to say to no one's surprise, <laughs> you got Higby in the eighth That's round. Right. Um, you, you've been beating the drum for this guy and, uh, you know, j- just to get to it now, I guess, um, he looked Gronkian, as I've heard a lot of people say, and I think that's fitting because he just really dominated when Gerald Everett was out of the lineup. They shifted to some more 12 personnel uh, as opposed to just being so heavily 11 personnel focused. We know that the targets are more consolidated this year without Brandon Cooks. They do have Josh Reynolds still. We know they're probably going to use 12 personnel more than they have in, in years past. Still not be their primary, you know, like, uh, you know, Philadelphia. Uh, and Gerald Everett is healthy. So are you just b- banking on upside here? Or do you really believe that Higby's role will carry over even with a healthy Everett? Yeah, not not as much. But I think that compared to the other tight ends, and the, the main argument is, hey, I'm not going to draft Higby because I can wait and get a Blake Jarwin or somebody else. I think people are mistaken. The differences in upside between these guys, Blake Jarwin is not going to carve out a 20, 25% target share on his team. Tyler Higby legit could. Um, I have some concern with Cooper Cup going outside if they go to 12 personnel. And if you watch those games last year at the end of the season, of course, Gerald Everett was sidelined, but they were scheming him open. There was a lot of passes where uh, Tyler Higby was catching the ball at like one, two yards downfield just because Jared Goff's rolling out and they throw it backwards to Tyler Higby. And I want to be betting on the upside of Tyler Higby. I mean, there's outside of the, the top three tight ends, which I include uh, Mark Andrews over Zach Ertz. I think Tyler Higby has the highest upside just because there's a path to him having a 20% target share. And that I don't think is baked into the price. And even if he totally busts, you're back at uh, where a lot of your league mates are going to be already where they're just drafting these flyer tight ends um, I think the, the difference is just the upside. Yeah, and, and to your credit, Higby does fit that type of player that is going to dominate in the tight end premium scoring if you know his role continues or, or if he even gets like 80% of what we saw last year. Um, I mean, he was really consistent and he was really good. So uh, 
definitely, definitely an option. Um, you know, if you're going for that second tier for me, I've actually been, you know, I, I didn't want to focus on, um, fitting into one strategy or another, a mod zero RB or, or a robust RB. So we were just kind of letting the draft come to us. And so we started with Kamara at the sixth spot. So we were drafting out at the sixth overall. We started with Kamara. I didn't, I'm, I'm not like Jeff is a huge Kamara guy and I totally recognize touchdown regression and, you know, the high ankle sprain last year, limiting him, how good he is. Just the format I thought lended to just getting that, getting that top elite running back and going from there. And then opposite of you, I suppose, kind of expecting to go zero RB after that. And then Miles Sanders was there seventh spot in, wow. in second round. And we're big Miles Sanders guys over here. So we just kind of pulled the trigger and went over a guy like Julio. The tight ends had already gone off the board for the most part. Um, and in the third round, we got Tyreek Hill. And so that made me feel pretty good about passing up Julio um, in the second. And so now we're actually, we just like right before we started recording, we just got on the clock in the fourth round. And so I'm leaning between Thielen and Allen Robinson. Jeff has weighed in on this. We've kind of already made up our minds, but I, I want to see what your thoughts are and that decision right there. And now keep in mind, we haven't gotten a quarterback yet. Seven went out in the first uh, 24 picks, and then only three have gone since. So I think we're probably approaching another QB run soon, but we also are in the midst of a wide receiver run. I mean, I drafted Adam Thielen and Allen Robinson. They're both top eight receivers on my personal rankings. And I think that they're going to benefit from this, the the first down rankings just because Allen Robinson and Adam Thielen could both be top five in targets this season. They could even, one of them could even be uh, the league leader. Um, I like both of those players for this this format. It would kind of depend on which quarterbacks are available. Um, they're both. They're just like, I don't know. I think you, there's, there's more uh, quarterbacks that are made um, like a Kirk Cousins all of a sudden just because of scoring. He vaults way up. Someone like Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, these guys that are like, usually you just don't want because the, they don't pass the ball enough. Well, they're so efficient. They don't uh, throw many incompletions that they're actually uh, QB2 viable um, in these formats. That I would probably would just take one of the uh, wide receivers and win a quarterback. But That's where our head's at as well. And the pick is in. We're going with Allen Robinson here. You know, it's a good problem to have. And I, I like that we're on the same page. I, I have Robinson and Thielen right next to each other in my rankings as well. Uh, there's a case to be made for Thielen, but, um, and, and that's mainly Thielen has the established rapport with cousins, but in this scenario, it'd actually be nice to get Robinson because I don't think people are going to value Nick Foles all that highly. I, you know, he doesn't even have the job locked up. I think he will, but he technically doesn't. So in terms of getting like a really cheap stack, getting Allen Robinson in the middle of the fourth and then Nick Foles like much, much later. That's pretty appealing for kind of locking up that second quarterback, uh, even though we haven't gotten there yet. So cool. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page there. And I did see that you got you, you had drafted both of them. So I felt good when both were available. So, something you just posted today, Hayden, to shift gears a little bit was your Browns preview. And if you guys haven't seen this, it's on Roto World. Hayden does a ton of great work. Uh, I, I always try to retweet it when I see it as well. And the Browns preview is no exception to this. Um, we were talking about zero or mod zero RB strategies. And you mentioned Kareem Hunt is a priority for you when you're employing one of those strategies. So I completely agree, first of all. And second of all, can you tell our audience a little bit about why you love Hunt this year? 
Yeah, so he was, in terms of usage in the second half of the season, he was already like a fringe RB2 just because he catches so many passes. I don't think he's actually an RB2. I think he's more of a flex option in PPR leagues. But that's where he's priced at currently. Uh, with his ADP, he's like the RB27, somewhere around that range, When uh, depending on what ADP you're looking at. So I think he's kind of being priced at where his floor is going to be. And if Nick Chubb obviously misses time, he would be like a top eight running back just the the volume would be there the talents there the offensive line is better the uh the coaching staff is much better and i think that it's worthwhile to draft kareem hunt as a potential flex play maybe he sits on your bench but if if nick chubb misses some time let's let's not forget that nick chubb he completely tore up his knee of course he looks great right now but I mean, we're one small tweak away from him being sidelined for uh, extended time, and that Kareem Hunt would be a top eight running back. And a lot of the guys that are going around him, um, someone like I don't like David Montgomery, for example. I think that's just like empty calories with the the way that he's being utilized, and that Kareem Hunt is is how you win your league. David Montgomery, that pick is how you come in eighth place in your league. So that's that's the difference with uh, between Kareem Hunt and those other RBs. Yeah, um, and like especially when you have a, a running back with so much receiving like work, like Kareem Hunt too. Like we saw last year where the Chargers were able to support two running backs. Um, like after it was what the RB seven after Gordon came back or something like um, basically all off of receiving work. Now I don't think Hunt is as good of a receiver as Eckler is, but like it just shows that it can be done. And when you look at the, um, the Browns receiving room, you're like, okay, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, what's next? Like, um, obviously you have Austin Hooper and maybe David Njoku. I mean, he might be gone. Uh, so it's like, okay, who is that uh, like next receiving option? And it's like, well, it's Kareem Hunt. Like, he's just going to be like, you know, your hybrid running back slot receiver. So now I think, uh, you know, like you said, that drafting him at his floor when you have so much upside is like fantastic process. Yeah, I'm glad we're all on the same page with him. Um, re- reading your preview, Hayden, a guy that really stood out to me is Jarvis Landry. And not necessarily like in great ways, but just as, as a guy that I've recognized that I always have slept on on Juice. I think there are plenty of warts on his profile going into 2020. Um, but this is this kind of brings up something that we've discussed a little bit offline, Hayden, and that's the, the new tool we're bringing with Contested Catch, uh, the Receiver Opportunity Composite Score. And so I'm going to let Jeff break down that a little bit. Uh, in one second, but this relates to Jarvis Landry because Jarvis Landry has consistently been kind of like a volume, like low value volume guy. And yet with this new metric, he actually shows up as the eighth, has the eighth best wide receiver opportunity uh, all of 2019, or I should say weeks one through 16. So Jeff, why don't you break down a little bit what The Rock is, uh, and then we'll continue this conversation. Sure. So The Rock, uh, Named after our hometown, Rochester, New York. Shout out to the 585. Um, it's it's the receiver opportunity composite score, which basically is I was just trying to take some of the more uh, like new advanced metrics, such as target, like not just targets and air yards, but target share, air yard share. And like you always see them referenced in articles, like, oh, like you know, wide receiver A had a 20% target share over the last three weeks, but then wide receiver B has 40 targets, which is more than wide receiver A, but it's a smaller share, like slice of his offense. And then, you know, air yards are also a way of like the, like quantifying the value. So really it's just trying to 
take those metrics and just bundle it into one score uh, to, you know, project fantasy production in the future. And then, um, you know, sprinkled in a little bit of red zone looks and uh, first downs. And we just came up with uh, like a metric that looks at a four to five game window and using some of these more advanced stats um, projects, you know, your fantasy points per game over the next three or four games. And I mean, just to get it, I guess the bare minimum process is I built the model using data, play-by-play data from 2014 to 2018, and then tested it on 2019. And like, you know, it looks really good. Like, um, Will and I will, you know, discuss more some of the like hits and misses, but um, yeah, so it's basically just like a composite score of opportunity receiver opportunity composite. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, so like. Um, I know Jarvis Landry actually, like, you know, he outscored Odell in 2019 on it. It was close, but he outscored him. Yeah, and 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 when you look at the ranks, and obviously Odell missed or you know was banged up, I should say. Um, even if Jarvis loses some some time to Hooper or some opportunity to Hooper and a healthy OBJ and Kareem Hunt is you know active for all 16 games, there should still be enough meat on the bone for a decent wide receiver wide receiver two ish season, right? Yeah, I have him more as a wide receiver three, but um, like like you said, it's just if if the offense takes a step further, uh, which I expect them to do, I think the offensive line is key. I mean, both of their tackles last year were awful. They get Jack Conklin, who was a top 12 uh, offensive tackle uh, according to PFF, and then they grab Jedrick Wills in the first round, who was the seventh rated player uh, according to my big board for this draft. So I think that we're kind of underestimating um, the offensive line play. That will benefit Jarvis Landry, of course. Um, but like, like you guys said, this, this tool that you guys are building is awesome. I think the future of fantasy sports is not just looking at a target share or one thing it's looking at expected fantasy points. That's ex- basically what this, what this model is doing. Um, and you guys have it on a chart and it's broken down with like recent play. Like, of course, um, people are looking at season long, uh, production. Really, if you look at it, if you're trying to predict, um, scoring week by week, the best way to do it is to look at the last three weeks, last four weeks, and adjust um, by week and don't care about what they were doing six, seven weeks ago. It's not nearly as predictive on a week-to-week basis. So um, this tool that you're building is awesome. I have one that is um, I use on the back end for a lot of my writing, um, but this way, the way you guys have it laid out on the chart and stuff is it's going to be a tool that I'm for sure going to be using. I'm not even BSing that just because I'm on the podcast. It is a, uh, a sharp tool to have. That's awesome. Well, oh, thank you. That yeah. that's a lot of high praise coming from you too, especially when you do have like so many more resources available to you. Yeah, completely agree. That uh, and, and you know, it, it actually does mesh pretty well with with some of your work you've done about your expected fantasy points, right? Um, it, you know, and you've done the buy lows related to that, and I think that's actually one of the best use cases for a tool like this. And so I'm hopeful that people will see it that way as well. But I wanted to ask you, uh, in terms of identifying buys and sells, especially in season. Um, based on those who have underperformed and overperformed their opportunity. Uh, it's not always clear if someone's just unlucky or lucky or versus just like plain bad or good. Um, for instance, Chris Godwin was consistently overperforming his opportunity last year, but we also know Chris Godwin's like really freaking good. Yep. And then there's a guy like Curtis Samuel, who I made the mistake of just ex- waiting and expecting, or Mike Williams, you know, same kind of thing. Um, it's not necessarily they're bad. It's just that the situation was never really going to improve enough to like make all this stuff come to fruition with the opportunity. So, you know, how would you use a tool like this to inform your in in season decision-making? Like at what point do you just give up on a guy 
versus uh, just give up on waiting for the guy to drop off. Right. So with, with my expected fantasy points, I'm you have to view it as this is what the average wide receiver in the NFL or what average running back, average tight end, whatever metric you're looking at, what they would be doing with this usage. And then from there, you have to adjust how you think that this player is actually in a better situation. So someone like uh, or a worse situation, someone like Curtis Samuel, for instance, last year with a hor- horrible quarterback play. Um and you have to make the adjustments from there. So this is where like the difference, like the model is only as good as how you are using it. And you, that's where like becoming a draft analyst, fantasy analyst, you have to make the decisions on, all right, this guy was performing over expectation reasonably. So like, in my opinion, like someone like Austin Eckler last year, it was just completely unreasonable to believe that he was going to keep on doing, keep on doing, keep on doing. He was just so hyper-efficient, especially for like yards after the catch perspective that at some point, um, I would be like, okay, enough's enough. Like, I can't expect Austin Eckler to be outperforming expectations by this much. That's not reasonable. Dig, dig down a little bit, but he's going to be better than the average player. Um, and for me, one of the, one of the underlying things, especially for receiver, and that's the most volatile position because um, the air yard spikes are crazy, and it's uh, yards like a 25 air yards plus. The volatility of that, the fantasy point value in that is just ginormous. That that's the main focus. The one underlying variable that I found to be very helpful is whether that target was down the middle of the field or is down the sideline of the field. And someone like Curtis Samuel was off the charts. All of his deep targets last year were near the sideline. And that is much harder to complete. Those are not nearly as valuable as a deep target down the middle of the field. So I lost all of this money on Curtis Samuel last year because I did not know that an outside target was uh, worth less, nor did I know where to find that. Now we have the play-by-play data to figure that out, and that's something that uh, my expected fantasy points model is taking care of. Is I'm dinging the the air yards, and everyone looks at the air yards. But if it's 50 yards downfield and to the sideline, guess what? That is not worth 50 air yards. That's truly worth like 20 air yards if you adjust for down the middle of the field or to the outside. So all these new variables that are coming in, I like you incorporating the target share, um, just because if uh, Week to week, if if Jarvis Landry is at like a 30% target share, even though he's only at like eight targets, guess what? If the Browns are trailing, his value goes way through the roof. So I think I like uh, incorporating target share. But this is this is so much more advanced in fantasy football than where we were at five years ago. You wouldn't be looking at any of this stuff. And I think that's why um, people that are going to be using tools like the one that you guys just built is you're going to be at such an advantage on the week to week buy low, sell highs. Yeah, you know, I completely agree with that assessment because it's just like people use the word analytics like all the time. And I think it's like, you know, a very valuable thing to throw into conversations. But I don't know, necessarily know that people understand it always. And so what I wanted to do and Jeff, obviously being the whiz that he is, um, made this possible was create a tool that ten- takes that work of understanding analytics and makes it super easy for people because yeah. Once you can incorporate that in your decision-making process, you can excel so much more than you would have otherwise. Because if you're just looking at like, oh, David Montgomery got like 240 tar- or carries last year. That's great. Uh, you know, not, not that this is really related to running, but the point is it doesn't tell the full story. You know, what value did that carry have? Um, you know, you get a guy like Jarvis Landry in years past with so many targets compared to a guy like Tyreek Hill with with maybe less targets. But we know the value is different based on the, the situation. So... I'm glad we're on the same page there. I've got a uh, an about face here for you, Hayden, a, a, a change up. Okay. 
How, how have you been spending your time during this crazy 2020? I'm just curious, you know, have you been reading a lot of books or watching shows or anything, anything you want to recommend to us and our listeners? Um, I've spent the off season like a total nerd learning R. Uh, I was like getting kind of used to it uh, last season. I was kind of like learning on the fly, learning all these tutorials. But I haven't been reading any books. Um, I haven't improved my writing at all. All these things I probably should be doing, but I'm getting much better at building these crazy models like the ones that you guys have right there. So that's my main priority. I'm trying to uh, lift more weights recently as well. But I don't, I, can't, I don't have the patience for uh, TV shows, movies, all that stuff. I watch like 20 minutes of them. I'm out. The only thing I've been watching is uh, Guy Fieri, uh, Diners, Drivers, and Dives. Outside of that, I've been uh, just in these our streets building these crazy models for you guys. That's it. Oh, also, also, I got engaged. Outside nice. of that, congratulations! Yeah, outside of that, hey. I should I should have mentioned that first. I I got engaged early. That was like in February, right before Corona. Once Corona hit, I've just been in these uh, our streets. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. I think this like the based on what I've saw, what I saw, it seemed like you kind of started this trend of like. All of a sudden now, all over my timeline, I'm seeing people discuss like, if you're getting started in R, this is what you should be doing. And like, I've seen a million different people do it since I first saw your post. So you might've started a trend of just like really, I mean, not that the fantasy community is extremely collaborative, but all of a sudden it's like very top of mind to discuss how to get better in these analytics programs. Yeah, and, and if I can do it, I had no R experience at all. I mean, I had like econ experience was kind of helpful and I knew Excel and all that stuff, but the tutorials out there are so good. I mean any question you have, you're one Google search away. And then a lot of the guys on Twitter are so helpful. Um, Josh ADHD, who just built an awesome Scott Fishbowl um, app. He helps me out. Ben Baldwin, all the like literally the top analytics minds out there um, are willing to help you out. And like NFL teams are watching. Like I know NFL teams are watching and they're reading. They have been contacting me a little bit and they're contacting a lot of other people. They're getting hired. All these like PFS hiring a lot of people with, uh, that no R, I know the athletic is hiring a lot of people with R. It, it is easily the one way to get found. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is it is hard to get found if you're just saying your opinion. Everybody has an, an, an opinion. The way to gain credibility is to create new models, create new charts. I think that's the fastest way to get into the industry. It's the fastest way to take over your boss's job. And I think it's it's not that hard. Like really, just like it takes some some patience. You have to um, do some Google searches, but all the information's out there. Anybody can do it. And I'm glad that people are starting to reach out and, and learn it because it took me like six months, and I'm pretty comfortable with it. And I think that anybody can do it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I also got followed by the director of the Bills like analytics a couple of weeks ago. Right. Like, uh. You know, you're watching. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm like, I like went to his uh, profile. He doesn't follow that many people. He hasn't posted anything in like, close to a year. Even like his likes are pretty barren, but he, obviously he's like scrolling through and, you know, paying attention to what's being posted. So yeah, like, you're hundred percent right. It's, like, it's, it's to the point. It's to the point. If you have uh, a team stats account, like I think the chance you're getting hired by that team is way higher than people are getting credit for. Like, it would not surprise me at all if some of the people that we interact with on Twitter are gone next year, can't tweet anymore because they're running analytics offices. And all it takes is not that much work. Like you just post some graphs, like the 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 value of the eyeballs that are coming in is, is unbelievable. And that's just like a credit to, to how awesome Twitter is that you can just post some random stuff. And even if you have 130 followers, all of a sudden the 
the Bills director is is contacting you, the Rams director is contacting you, all these cool things. Hey, don't sell me short. I have eleven hundred followers. There you go. It, also, everything goes up like crazy fast when you post these stuff. Like, you know, you just need one small tweet, and all of a sudden, like you're up, you know, hundred. I think I saw an, an Evan Silva shout out from uh, the account as well. Yeah, yep. with that, that was that was a big one. That uh. That's, that, that's that, the ticket right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Evan is uh super, super generous with it. You know, as as are you. You know, it's it's really that's one thing that's been beautiful about the fantasy football community and about trying to get involved with with just football Twitter as a whole is that it's so collaborative and people are like, hey, I was there once. It's not like you know this doggy dog world. You know, yeah, people are, I suppose, competitive and like want to be the best because like that's one of the natures of this of this sport is is trying to get an edge. But it's not like people are out there trying to sabotage or anything. So it's awesome that people are able to share not only uh, you know the work they're doing, but their knowledge, so people can do their own work. And overall, it's going to make us all you know and get more out of this game, whether it's an edge or not. Um, so that's good stuff. Um, to episode thirty now, you know when we discussed uh, before the NFL draft, um, we discussed some prospective rookies, I guess. So so NFL draft prospects. And the first one that comes to mind when we think about that episode is Cam Akers. And that was because that was a prospect that you were very high on. Uh, you know, Jeff was high on him as well. And he landed in a super interesting spot in, in, with the Rams post Gurley from a fantasy perspective. So you've chosen to make him, as, as I alluded to earlier, your RB1 in the Scott Fishbowl. Are you sold on his role as a lead back? Or are you playing the upside game with, with Cam Akers? Yeah, uh, Cam Akers is somebody that I thought was a good prospect coming out of Florida State. He had all the production, and he was so young. He came out of the draft as a 20-year-old. Of course, that's one of the most predictive things when you have age and production. Um, he checks both of those boxes, and draft capital was the last thing. And I don't think that the Rams' backfield, is there's that much competition. I like Daryl Henderson, but he just did not fit the scheme that they were running. He was a power runner in college, could not adjust to – um, the zone scheme that the Rams are employing. But the biggest thing for Cam Akers this year is uh, pass blocking reps. So last year, Todd Gurley led the NFL running backs in pass blocking reps. It is a position that the Rams really need because their offensive line is so bad. Jared Goff plays so bad under pressure. They need their running back to be blocking at, at uh, getting good grades on their pass blocking reps. Cam Akers, out of 349 FBS running backs last year, was third and pass blocking reps last year. And he was also graded well on them. Darrell Henderson coming out of school was horrible. Didn't block that block that much. And he also only had six pass blocking reps last year as a rookie. The Rams clearly do not believe in Darrell Henderson as the pass blocker. So I think Cam Maker is going to walk into that role. That is means he's going to be on third downs. I think he's going to have, he's the best pure runner of, out of the group. He's going to be on, down on third downs as well. I, I see a three-down role for Cam Akers, and I want to be a little bit higher than him than the market, and that includes rookie of the year odds. I want him in fantasy. That's why I drafted him here. I just think that he's going to have a lot more touches than people are giving him credit for. That's something I did not know, that Cam Akers was A, so good, and that Darrell Henderson, I, I knew he wasn't good because it kind of stands out when they're good and you, you kind of see it. Right. But – I didn't realize he only had six reps all year. I mean, he wasn't on the field a ton, but like six reps, that really means they don't trust you at all. They're not putting you on the field, you know. Yep. <laughs> and that's and, I mean, he's, he's so he's so short and like, I, I don't, and he's stocky, so I don't think it's like that big of a problem. But um, when you're a Florida State prospect and you're seeing uh, three down work and you were like the only 
skill position player that was uh, worth paying attention to at Florida State. I think that that matters. And the fact that they drafted him when they needed a lot of other positions, um, they could have they could have just said, hey, screw it. We'll go Darrell Henderson, Malcolm Brown and a fifth round rookie running back. No, they, they choose. They chose Cam Akers for a reason. And I think that we need to be sliding him into like a Todd Gurley light role where he can be a flex play, maybe an RB2 by the end of the year. It's a really interesting backfield to look at. Um, Darrell Henderson, I still think is being, I don't think the gap should be as big as it is because I do think that there's a real chance. That, like, I know that the the indicators, we talked about this with JJ Zacharies and the indicators aren't strong on Darrell Henderson right now. But the, But the point is, we were really excited going into last season for him as a rookie for a reason. Yes. And Jeff, I know that you have some comments on, on the scheme change and potential a better fit for Darrell Henderson uh, going into 2020. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like nothing definitive. This was more speculation from some like XO type of guys on Twitter, which is definitely not me. Um, I, I want to say it was probably Betts who was just like all about the run game. Um, <laughs> And he was saying he thinks, or whoever it was, was saying they think like, based on some of the the run style of Acres and Henderson, the transition to twelve personnel or more use of twelve personnel is that they think the Rams are actually going to kind of transition from these the zone scheme that Henderson struggled with and Gurley was so effective into more of a gap scheme that um, is suited better for Acres and Henderson. So, I mean. I, they definitely wouldn't have drafted Acres if they were like completely sold on Henderson. So he's still deserves to be, you know, ranked highest in that backfield. And um, I know, like for me, like the issue though is this offensive line is just not good anymore. They went from being like a historically great offensive line in 2018, then they lose Roger Saffold, they lost whoever the starting center was. They've made like no additions, and uh, Andrew Whitworth is. Like, what is he, 38, 39 yeah. years old at left tackle? I mean, he was great, like, a few years ago. And, you know, played way longer than, like, or lasted, like, played at a high level way longer than, you know, most people do. But like, he's getting up there in age. So, for me, like, I really like the talent. And I think the long-term fit in, like, a dynasty league perspective is there. I just don't know if I really see the combination of opportunity and efficiency to just due to like what I still think is going to be a below average offensive line is going to really allow him to like reach a ceiling of even RB one this year. Like, no, if you're drafting him in like for a flex position, uh, you know, but getting our, I I think he could do our RB two numbers for sure. If you get him at like a flex value, I just don't really know if I see him getting that like low, even low end RB one production in 2020. Yeah, I mean, Todd Gurley was like, uh, what, a mid-range RB2 every single week. And maybe Cam Akers is straight up better than what Todd Gurley was last year. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough. I don't see the Rams being um, super effective on the ground once again. And the other thing is the Rams, um, they led the league in passing rate when they were trailing last year. They also ran the at the fastest pace. So I think that I'm more inclined to be buying um, a Robert Woods, a Tyler Higby, like we just mentioned. But of the of the running backs, I'm more confident in Cam Akers' overall talent than Darrell Henderson. But with that said, Darrell Henderson is a zero RB guy that is basically free now in drafts. His ADP, I think, is still continuing to fall. Um, I'm just not convinced he's going to be on the field enough. But if Cam Akers proves to be ineffective or gets injured, then, uh, of course, Darrell Henderson would be a, a 
flex option. Yeah. And of course, there's still Malcolm Brown, at least right now, Malcolm Brown's in there is like a potential goal line vulture. Um, I could see him actually being, um, well, I guess under normal circumstances, at least I could see him being like a kind of mid to late camp cut. But I mean, who knows with, you know, this environment too. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting backfield. And I do think that Darrell Henderson's ADP is way too low right now because, I mean, like we just aren't good enough to to project how this backfield is going to shake out, even when you can paint such a good picture for Cam Akers or such a bad picture for Darrell Henderson, which unfortunately it's kind of easy to do for, for you know, based on one year in the league. But um, yeah, so I, I'm, I appreciate uh, the insight there. And I did not know that about the uh, the pass blocking reps. Um, another guy we discussed on that episode, episode 30, um, was Jalen Rigor. And he landed in the perfect spot with the Eagles, I think. And this was like, like if I could have picked a spot for him, it would have been the Eagles. Same with Henry Ruggs, I suppose. But, uh, but you know, the Eagles are lacking a true wide receiver one for Wentz. Regor steps into a potential featured role, um, maybe even ahead of Zach Ertz. Like, people are like, well, behind Zach. I- I'm not even necessarily sure because he's kind of been the wide receiver, de facto wide receiver one out of necessity because I haven't had anyone. Like, okay, Alshon Jeffrey, like, he's a shell of what he was in Chicago. Um, so, Jeff and I love the talent with Jalen Regor. You were a little bit more skeptical. Is the situation enough to sway you uh, in terms of, you know, your consideration of him in 2020 redraft leagues? Yeah, out of all of the rookie prospects, the guy that makes me the most nervous for being too long, too low on initially is Jalen Rager. Um, and I mean, like you said, just this, the, the perfect spot is, is there for him to take over the wide receiver one role. And that's in a good offense, uh, offense that I project to be top three in place per game. And with a strong quarterback as well, where he could actually be a wide receiver three flex option this year. And he's being drafted below that. Um, I'm nervous that I'm just going to be straight up wrong with Jalen Rager as, as a player. Of course, like the burst, like you see it at times. I was just not convinced that he was like a better overall talent than like someone like Justin Jefferson or, or just a, a first round prospect in general. Um, but he was still like a top 50 player on my board. Like, I, I didn't think he was horrible. Um, but I think I'm going to end up regretting that. I think that he's going to end up being like a top four, top five receiver from this rookie class. And I did not have him ranked that high initially. Well, it, it, some of it is, you know, it's not all your fault. Cause like so much of, the, of this like is landing spot. And I think Evan Silva actually made a really good point about this. Like the Jonathan Taylor trade up for the Indianapolis Colts to, to 41 overall was egregious and bad going yep. to look good because their offensive line is so good and he's a really talented runner which we know does not matter uh and they already had marlon Ma- so like when you when you factor in everything it's a bad pick but when you just look at the results of it he's going to look like you know a stud running back so um would would rego have succeeded with i don't know the jets yeah, him, if him and denzel mims yeah roles yeah. right now everybody would be super high in denzel mims and vice versa of course like the nfl you have to factor in what the nfl actually viewed these players and I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if Jalen Rager didn't go to the Eagles, he still would have been a top 30, uh, top 35 player um, in the draft. So I think I'll just take my L with Jalen Rager, um, but I will not take my L with my fantasy rankings because of that. I've moved Jalen Rager way up my board. Originally, he was like my wide receiver 60. I think I moved him up like to wide receiver 45 or something like that. I've actually been drafting him, even though uh, my scouting profile with him was probably not as high as what other um, people were making him out to be. 
I love that. I, first of all, I, I really admire when people are willing, not necessarily to admit they're wrong, but like adapt to new information or or adapt and not just hold on to their priors. Cause like, that's when you don't, when you lose trust with someone is when you're like, oh, that person like just really cares about being right or looking yeah. right back then than being right now. And you want to listen to people who are concerned about being right now. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's like a very clear path, like, right. Like as of like, yesterday for Rager <laughs> to really just be like oh, yeah. have no competition for six weeks um with Deshaun Jackson's like a like heinous post right. um and then Alshon Jeffrey could be starting the season on pop apparently so like all of a sudden you're just looking at Jay and Rager wide receiver one with no competition at wide receiver for six weeks yeah uh like you know with Carson Wentz so it's basically Carson Wentz throwing the ball to Ertz Goddard and uh Rager again and like all the like good analysis of fading urge because of you know increased target competition just getting thrown out the window for like the third straight year life comes at you fast in this pandemic it does <laughs> indeed um I have Rager hovering around wide receiver 30 right now and I know that's like really high but I think the point I'm trying to make with that is not necessarily that I think he like his upside I think is so high because Carson Wentz is so good and I think Regor has probably the best chance to produce like a rookie Odell level season. If you remember, Odell was like injured going into his rookie year. It was a first round pick. Miss, I think he missed like three or four games to start the season and then just like lit the league on fire. And I just think that the combination of, of the situation, the type of targets he's going to see in that offense are just is just so high, like the, such high uh, upside that I, I want to be way above consensus on him. Well, and the other thing about ranking is you can have somebody rank there and you don't have to draft them there. Evan Silva talks right. about this all the time where um, you can be higher than somebody. That doesn't mean you have to draft them three rounds ab above where he's typically going. You just draft them a round above where he's going. And right. I've done that a lot. You, you end up drafting players that you have ranked beneath a certain player just because you know the next round you can get that guy then you're in a better position than if you were to draft him in the first place. So um, right. ranking doesn't really matter that, that much. It's just where you're drafting him, yes or no. Yeah, and, and the tiers as well. So completely agree with that. Um, so one other rookie that we talked about on that episode was A.J. Dillon. And a guy that I was super excited about. There's only a RBI highlighted in our combine preview um, because of how explosive and athletic he was. And then that's someone that we talked about as well on episode 30 because I think I believe he was a 97th percentile adjusted spark athlete. The adjustment yep. didn't really make a difference because he just basically dominated in everything he did. Um, and like his 96th percentile BMI, 99th percentile or 100th percentile speed score, I think it was. Uh, he's basically a shorter Derrick Henry in terms of the athletic profile. Um, now, Derrick Henry has some very special intangibles in terms of his tackle breaking ability. Um, and, and then AJ Dillon, you know, oh, he got picked in the second round. Okay, that's good. But the lands behind Aaron Jones and maybe Jamal Williams, I think he'll beat him out, but maybe Jamal Williams, he might be third on the depth chart. Um, He's likely an early down specialist with limited pass game role. Uh, and, and until further notice, you know, he's not someone to be excited about, right? I actually think that it, the situation is not as bad as it seems. And I think he's a really sneaky late round guy to look at. And the reason being, Aaron Jones is a holdout candidate. I mean, he's not signed past 2020. Um, AJ Dillon has a really strong draft investment, way better than Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. And um, neither of them are really anyone to be that excited. Like Aaron Jones has had a pretty solid career, but he also has like plenty of warts on his profile. He's not like, it's not like Gurley like three years ago or something like that where, you know, could you even imagine Gurley not being on the Rams three years ago? Um, 
and, and then the other thing is Aaron Jones really excelled like a when Devontae Adams is injured. So the pass game work is not going to be there for him. I don't think. Uh, and then and then the red zone and, and goal line work like that's where he basically feasted. There were plenty of games where he had 10 carries like, you know, 20 yards or something and like three touchdowns or something like that. Uh, I think A.J. Dillon could not only take that role from him, but like potentially move into the RB1A role by the end of the season. And I just think that there's a lot of writing on the wall, like like Matt Matt Lafleur coming from Tennessee. Now he did use Deion Lewis way too much when he was in Tennessee. Uh, you know, egregious in my opinion, and I think that was proven last year. But still, like they drafted AJ Dillon, and he looks just like Derrick Henry, basically. Um, am I way crazy on on this take here, or is AJ Dillon like actually someone to keep an eye on end of, end of drafts? Yeah, I'm currently writing the Packers preview for Roto World, and one thing I learned from that is Jamal Williams is like the replaceable running back beneath a four yards per carry, and his yards per target is also really low, and they've been transitioning out of Jamal Williams. I mean, before that was like an even timeshare, and then, of course, Aaron Jones took over. I think A.J. Dillon is a much better talent than Jamal Williams, so I think at least you're going to get the 1A handcuff behind Aaron Jones, but like you mentioned, Aaron Jones, 16 rushing touchdowns last year. That was 7.7 more rushing touchdowns than what my model expected him to do. And that's basically adjusting for um, the yard line that he's at and then like shotgun, all these random other variables. Who cares? But the one thing is he was already a negative regression candidate. And that was before they drafted a 247 thick dude that could be uh, the goal line RB. So I'm out on Aaron Jones. I haven't drafted him a single time. I don't think there's basically any time that he's going to be dropping far enough where I would be um, drafting Aaron Jones. Um, I think A.J. Dillon could score five touchdowns, six, seven touchdowns this year sneakily. Um, he just needs Aaron Jones, in my opinion, to be out. Like, he has to miss games um, just because A.J. Dillon's literally giving you basically a zero as a receiver, but goal line vulture, I'm in. I, and that's why I've been completely fading Aaron Jones. I think AJ Dillon is their goal line back potentially. And he's got the size. He was just a bulldozer at Boston College, especially late in games. I looked at one stat um, with AJ Dillon was like led the FBS in first downs in like the third and fourth quarter. And that's just because once they got the lead, it was just AJ Dillon time. And um, you made the comparison. He's a Derrick Henry light. I mean, Derrick Henry's such a freak. Um, even like side to side when he gets some open space, look out. I don't think AJ Dillon's quite like that, but goal line roll, I'm in. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, very intrigued by him as a prospect for this year even. Yeah, and um, to hammer home the point of the touchdown regression with Aaron Jones, um, I was using the results from the big data bowl, which like utilizes tracking data the other day to look at uh, like expected touchdowns for carries uh, from inside the 10 yard line. And nobody outperformed their expected touchdowns more than Aaron Jones. Like it wasn't even, wasn't even close. And no one underperformed more than Frank Gore. Oh, he Actually, was so bad. Oh my God. Yeah. Frank Gore's stats make no sense. Like yeah. how did they keep doing it? Like it was mind blowing, especially Devin Singletary only scored 4 billion touchdowns in college. Like give him the goal line role. Uh, maybe it's exactly. Zach Moss this year, but the Frank Gore It's, it's going to be. Oh. Zach Moss is a sneaky. I'm not even yes. sure if it's a hot take, but like Zach Moss is going to outscore Devin Singletary this year. I think it's certainly within the the range of possibilities and their ADPs couldn't be further apart. Oh, I'm out yeah. of Devin Singletary. He's uh, such, at his, such a fake. I just got draft position. Yeah, completely agree. Zach Moss is like, I, I have them pretty close in my rankings, 
Um, and and that's because I definitely want to be below on Devin Singletary. I've heard Evan Silva talk about this a good bit too. Like it, it's just they're they're superficially Devin Singletary looks like, Oh, this is a great time to, to get motor, right? No, it's like, it, 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 it's probably worse than last year. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad we're on the same page with the green Bay backfield too, because I was like, as Jeff, Jeff, well, very well aware. I was a huge Aaron Jones truther and I didn't know, but I felt very strongly that if Aaron Jones got like significant goal line work, he was going to do really well because he has just has a nose for the end zone. The point is he wasn't supposed to do that well. And there's just so much that's not repeatable after last year, you know, which was just like the ceiling. Um, And so, yeah, we're we're on the same page there. Who's the guy you think still being slept on that we should be taking a long look at later at the end, at the end of drafts? Uh, I'll go with another rookie. Henry Ruggs is ADP is way too low. He's going to be the wide receiver one for an offense that um, could get a little bit better with Rudin. And I think the offensive line is good enough. And I think Derek Carr has got a lot of pressure with Marcus Mariota behind him. And I think that Henry Ruggs is a good enough talent, uh, big play of potential. And if Darren Waller isn't as involved as he was earlier in the year, which we saw a big decline in the second half of the year, I think that Henry Ruggs is somebody that could end up being a flesh play. And he was like, you can get it for free. He's like a uh, wide receiver, like 50 or 55, 60. And I think that I have him like, so wide my wide receiver, like low forties. Mm, I love that. That's a good call. You know, great stuff as usual, Hayden. Guys, remember, if you haven't checked out Hayden's work on Roto World, you have to. It's really good. It's not just good for fantasy, and it's not just good for football. It's great for all of it. Uh, obviously, on Twitter, at Hayden Winks as well. And Hayden, you're also uh, you know regularly on the Roto World podcast, which is what you were coming from right before this. So anywhere else that you want to point people to find your great work. Yeah, everything's on Twitter at Hayden Winks and all my stuff's at Roto World. Um, I need Ian Harditz to leave for PFF to get that. Uh, Tuesday spot on the Red World podcast. So thank you, Ian. But uh, last thing I'll say, I'm buying low on the contested catch stock. This is going to be like the Bitcoin price in 2011. You guys are up and up and up. All the all the tools are helpful. Um, the podcast is great. You're getting the Evan Silva uh, retweets. You're getting the Bills directors sliding into your DMs. I mean, everything's on the up and up. I'm buying low. Really appreciate that. That that's that's good stuff. Um, I'll make sure to Venmo you the hundred bucks we promised. Right, sounds uh, good. <laughs> also add Hayden links. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, good stuff. Well, as usual, Hayden, really appreciate you giving us your time. Looking forward to hopefully this this great twenty twenty season. All right, fight on, guys. Bye.